Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear... Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. We are lucky enough to have Minari composer Emil Mazzari on the show. And... Um, Obviously, he's Academy Award nominated uh, for his score for Minari. Obviously, I say, because um, his music is so beautiful and, and um, we're such a fan. So welcome to Bitch Talk. Thanks. Thank you so much for that intro and thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you. Yeah. So if you can, for our audience who hasn't seen Minari, can you can you uh, talk about the film a little bit? Sure. Yeah, it's um, it's a really special film. Um, it was made by uh, my friend Isaac, uh, who's an amazing writer and director. He wrote it and directed a film about his own life um, growing up in Arkansas in the eighties, and his family moving to Arkansas from LA, um, Korean Americans um, in the mid eighties, and and starting a life. Um, but it's a film about it's a film about their story, but it, it's a film about family and about following your dreams and about, but above all, I feel like it's a, it's a film about a childhood memory, you know, as, as it came from him, it's, it's sort of a, it's, you know, it's a hard thing to describe, but it's, it's the kind of a love letter and ode to his, his childhood, you know, yeah, coming from the emotionally coming from him, you know, it's not exactly supposed to be like, this is exactly how it happened. It's more, this is how he experienced it, you know, yeah. as a little boy. And and how did the story come to you specifically? Um, the story came to me through my friend, Christina O, who produced the film, who I had worked with her on The Last Black Man in San Francisco a few years earlier. And uh, she works for a company called Plan B. And she found... She, we worked together on, on Last Black Man in San Francisco, and then she introduced me to Isaac, uh, who made Minari, before they started shooting the film. And we actually met at the Los Angeles premiere of The Last Black Man in San Francisco. So it was in, um, in uh, 2018, 19. And she came with, with Isaac and Stephen, who, who, who stars in the film, and introduced us. And then we got together and started talking about music and the film and I, they sent me the script and I fell in love with it. And then we just sort of took it from there. Mm. Yeah. Funny. You should mention last black man in San Francisco. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of our favorite films and one of our favorite scores. I mean, I was listening to it on repeat after watching the film, oh, but, wow. um, but, uh, but yeah, first I'm just, we're so happy to have you because composers don't get enough credit 
the, you know, they don't get the credit they deserve for film, specifically you and your work. Um, and I just want to know what what your secret is to to channeling the energy and the story of these films, because, you know, the two that we're just talking about, Last Black Man in San Francisco and Minari are such different films and you don't compose to the time, you know, you said it's based in Arkansas in the 80s. It's not an 80s era score. You really tap into the emotion. That's at least that's how it feels to me. So what is your secret? I, I feel like you would make a good therapist because you just oh. emotionally <laughs> can just tap in to, to what we're oh, feeling. Oh, thank you. Well, what, a, what a compliment. I know. I feel like I, I, I feel like it honored and excited that I get to opportunity to to like rise to the challenge of, of, of honoring these people's incredible stories. I mean, both of those films are very different, but um, they're similar in some ways, you know, in that they're both somebody sort of ripping their heart out and putting it on their screen. They're both autobiographical and they're both very, very strong, poetic, like, like love letters to like last black man. So it just goes kind of like Joe and Jimmy's love letter to, to a lost city, to San Francisco, you know, um, or, their, or their San Francisco. Um, so emotionally, like, how do you, how do you kind of honor that? How do you, how does the music rise to, to Jimmy's story? And there was a responsibility that Joe had to, to make a great movie about that. Um, and there was a responsibility that all of us had that worked on it, Christina and Adam and uh, Joe and I and everybody to, to like rise to that, you know, and to, to give give him the music that that, that the story that this that his story deserves, you know, and I felt the same with Isaac too. And like what you talk about it being like not stylistically uh, an '80s score or stylistically a San Francisco score or whatever that means, I think that's also a really important piece of it is to like um, uh, resist the instincts or the urge to like make music that feels stylistically connected, but, 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 but leaning more into what feels emotionally connected, you know, like we didn't want to have an eighties score. We didn't want to have a Korean score or like a farmland Arkansas score for me. In the same way with last black man in San Francisco, that score was, was sort of scoring the sort of regal kind of fairy tale nature of Jimmy's story of kind of coming back to reclaim his him sort of being banished from his family throne and coming back to reclaim his family throne like emotionally and as far as storytelling this big brass and like regal fairy tale like score made sense with it emotionally but it was juxtaposed because it was like you weren't hearing like you were seeing like like young black people living in a city in 2018, not, you know, and hearing music that was like old European music, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like, not, it was a, and the same was true for Minari in the sense that we didn't want it to be co Korean influence and we didn't want it to be, um, we didn't want it to be like Americana twangy guitars and harmonicas because <laughs> we were seeing shots of Arkansas. And I think both of those decisions were, weren't, squarely my decisions they're both a testament to the filmmakers vision and what they you know the director is directing me and everybody else to like write music that they like or photograph it the way they like or to with the actors to perform you know we're all following their lead 
And I think mm. it's a testament to, to Joe and Isaac, you know, really those musical decisions too. Yeah. I mean, I, you don't need to teach the masterclass specifically in our podcast, but I am very interested because, you know, we see the end result of the film with the score. Can you talk about the process of scoring a film? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I can, I can try. It's always very <laughs> different. That's kind of what's the, the, the joy of the job is that it's constantly changing. No two directors are the same. No two films are the same. Um, so with each of these films, it's a different challenge and a different, there's a different way in to it and mm-hmm. kind of crack the, the code, you know, whatever. I think with Minari, um, I'd read it. I'd, I'd written most of the music after just reading the script. So mm-hmm. because of that, I'd absorbed the script and internalized it and then wrote a bunch of music that felt emotionally connected to it. Um, and then they, they had the music on set. They had the music in the editing process. They had the music all throughout different stages of the creative process to sort of mold the film around the music. And it was another, another part of the storytelling, in a way, which I was really, really excited about to work that way. And that was the first time that I'd done that because with Last Black Man in San Francisco and with Kajillionaire, the other film that I'd scored, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd gotten a, a, a rough cut or a locked cut before I started working. So it was a, it's a way of like trying to find a way to do my thing and get my, whatever I can offer it from my soul into the music, into the film, but with more constrictions because, okay, this, this edit is locked and cut and this, this, you have to write a piece of music and it has to be 37 seconds long or whatever, you know? Wow. But with Minari, it was, the music could be however long it was. And then they extended the film to fit the music in a lot of cases. So, um, and that's partly why I'm so proud of the way it turned out. It was just that process was really exciting. Wow. That's crazy. I I have a different question, but so, so I just want to refer to that really quickly. So what, what was it like for you to create this music and then they make this film around the music and for you to see it together for the first time, the video over this music that you'd created, did, did the video match sort of what you had envisioned or, or what was that moment like? Sure. Yeah, it was, it was actually one of the more memorable moments of the whole process for me was going to Frogtown, this neighborhood in LA where Isaac and Harry, the editor um, were, were working uh, editing the film and sitting next to Isaac on a couch and watching Minari for the first time, like an early cut of it, but still very much, it changed a little bit, but it was pretty much all there emotionally, you know? So watching, and I'd seen the, the dailies and I'd read the script and I'd heard the music, but I hadn't, so I knew what was going to happen in the film, obviously, but I hadn't seen it all put together that way. And when Harry, the editor, who's, who's a genius, uh, Harry Yoon, and hugely instrumental in this building this film. And Isaac had, they built these things around my music. And I was hearing, I was hearing my music to picture in ways that I didn't expect, you know? Um, it was a profound experience because I was also watching this really moving film that's like kind of unapologetically goes for your heart, you know? Um, 
next to the person who's who was David, who was the little boy in the film night. It was sort of oh, a trip. No. So I was like, oh my God, this is this is his mother. He's and this is his grandmother and his father. It was really emotionally and I was a mess. I was like snotty. Mm-hmm. You know same. Yeah. <laughs> and I uh yeah, it's still like, you know, I, I watched I, I, my dad lives here in Tel Aviv. I, I watched the film with him yesterday. Mm. He hadn't seen it. And it was like, I got to sort of see him sort of experience it through that. You know, I said, I thought of sitting next to Isaac and watching it. Cause I, I, I sat next to him watching it yesterday and he moved from Egypt and, and lived with his grandmother, shared a bed with his grandmother. He, you know, he had this, there was a lot of parallels in his story. So I, I think it, it, it hit him in a way that was exciting too. But I think nothing compares to the like surrealness of, of watching it next to the man who's, who is the boy in it, you know? Yeah. You know? Um, anyway, with Isaac. And, uh, but yeah, it, it, to answer your question, it is, it, I didn't expect, I didn't expect it. I, I wrote a lot of music from there. There was still a lot of work to do and, and I had to extend things and write new things and, but but first for a good chunk of it was was already built in and I didn't expect it to work the way that it did. You never know until you see it and hear it at the same time how it's gonna all click, you know? Right. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well I, I wanted to get into you you come from a you, you used to be in an alternative band, right? <laughs> or maybe you, you currently still are called the Dig. Um yeah, I'm 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 making music with those guys. Um um we have a project called human love. Um, we were in a band together called the dig for many years and they're making, we're all making music together in different ways. We have a project together and then I'm making a record on my own that they're helping me with and they make records on their own that I help them with. And mm. We all kind of are like a community of musicians that, that they're brilliant and I want, we're going to be working together forever in, in different ways. It's just changing now because we're in Los Angeles and the pandemic and, Mm-hmm. all these other things, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, well, I'm just curious, do you think that attributes um, your ability to create these scores that are also easily standalone albums because you come from this like band background? Like, how do you think that affects your music? In terms I, of I like to think that it, that it affects it. You know, I think whatever you do as an artist in your life, every experience you have, you absorb it and, it and it finds its way into your work with every new thing that you do. You know, I think a lot of my favorite composers um, come from bands, were in bands, Johnny Greenwood, Mika Levy, um, Danny Elfman, Carter Burwell, like there's tons of them. Um, or just people that were making albums like, like, like on a tricks point, never, you know, there's like, if you, if you make albums bef- for years before you score films, then when you, when you make a film score album, it's very important that, that to us, to people like us, that it's, that it stands alone as an album, that, it, that it's something you can listen to it. And, and a lot of care and thought goes into the sequence and the, the A side and the B side and the, the experience of listening to it outside of the film is, is very important to me. Cause um, I think, cause I, I try to treat it like an album. So I think it's just from, from years of making albums, 
that kind of bleeds through, I, I like to think, in the scores, you know, because um, that's a whole other part of the job that I wasn't really aware of. Like, you score the film, and then you write all this music, and it serves the film, but then there's a the time to make the album, and it's a whole other boatload of work that you have to do, extending things, recording additional things, mm whatever it may be to make that, to create that experience of like the album feeling like an album and not like a list of cues, you know? Um, yeah. Speaking of albums, uh, you did release the last black man, San Francisco on an actual album, which I still need to buy. Um, but are you doing the same with Minari? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On the vine. You're talking about the vine. Vinyl. Yeah. 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 We did one at the, uh, actually, Jimmy and Joel. Yeah, I know you did. Uh, <laughs> I did. Eva, over, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was so fun. It was so fun. It was so cool to to sit with those guys on, at a table and meet a bunch of people that were moved by the movie, you know? And just to be with Jimmy, people, what he represents in that in your city and what that movie did in your cities is a powerful thing and a really special thing to be close to, you know, because people were meeting him. A lot of people were buying the record just to have him sign it. You know what I mean? Which was, was great for me too, but uh, <laughs> yeah, worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was cool to, to, to sit with him and watch so many people just like meeting him and crying. Like it was a, a really cool night to celebrate the record and, Hang with with those guys, um, but yeah, there will be a record for me as well. It's it, it's already been released uh, pre order, but but they start they start they arrive like next week, April second. Oh, I think. okay, that's good to know. Um, um, yeah, I know. Yeah, someone's <laughs> Maybe birthday might be coming birthday, up. Birthday, <laughs> <laughs> You always got to take the note right when you get the idea. I always yeah, cool. yeah. always it goes yeah. Away. Yeah, yeah. You never know what to get people, and then you get the idea. You gotta write it down. That's gold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that that film and that soundtrack really had a huge impact on us. We were really lucky to, enough to for the San Francisco premiere, oh, cool. and then I hosted one of the Q and A's oh, so here. Cool. Um, but that's but that's one of that's probably my favorite soundtrack. I would say oh, next wow, to Minari, of course. You. But it's just it's so haunting and beautiful, and I. I don't know. There's just oftentimes I think about it a lot. So, and there's never been a movie soundtrack that just hits has hit that way. So, um, great to hear. Thanks. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Last thing you talked about um, being in Tel Aviv. Have you been there the entire time during the pandemic? And and how are you feeling over there? Uh, No, my father moved out here um, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. He's from Egypt, and then he grew up here, and then. but I, I, every I was waiting for for him and my my family out here to get vaccinated to come visit, you know. Mm-hmm. So I've only been here for the last week, because um, there was a window bef- between work things where I felt like because I, I haven't seen him in a couple of years, so I felt like I mm-hmm. I want to like take this opportunity to, to see family while they're vaccinated before work picks up again. I had a little little window so i'm out here um doing that now but uh no i i I haven't been out here the whole time Um, 
But I love it here. It's beautiful. You guys, you guys can attest to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love the art scene. Love the food, beach, everything. The Dead Sea. <laughs> the Dead Sea. Yeah. How do you feel about the yeah. Dead Sea? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a trip. The Dead Sea. Yeah. I haven't been since I was a kid, but I remember I remember it, it uh, being just floating there with my brother. There's no feeling like it. Yeah, no. no. It's so, yeah. (laughs) It's an experience. Held held by by the earth. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing Superman the whole time. I was just like, how how am I still breathing? I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Emil, thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk. And we love your music. So please, please keep keep scoring films. Please. Will do. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real treat to talk to you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.